0: Welcome to the Behind the Screens podcast powered by Samsung Ads. I'm James Manning from Media Week, and in this series, I talk to executives from the TV industry to examine the changing viewing habits which are impacting business models looking at sport and streaming platforms it's a fascinating time to have a discussion like this only days after the australian women's soccer team the matildas finished top 4 at the fifa women's world cup a tournament purchased by a streaming platform up the sport with some games then on sold to a free to air broadcaster in this case seven I'm James Manning, Editor-in-Chief of Media Week Australia, and joining me, joining me to talk about where streaming platforms and sport might be headed and the opportunities are Kim McConney from K.O. and Ed Love from Samsung TV+. Look, I might start off, I'll ask each of you to sort of introduce yourself, tell us what you do at the, your relevant firms, and let's hear about the sporting teams you support. Start with you, Kim.
1: Oh, this is a great topic I love talking about. (laughs) So my name is Kim McConney. I'm the marketing director at KO Sports. So when it comes to sporting teams, I'll try and keep this brief, but I am a massive Broncos fan. So I'm very, very proud (laughs) um, of the performance of Broncos at the moment. And just as a uh, my pick for the grand final would be Panthers v. Broncos. So I will be sitting there proudly with my Broncos jersey uh, cheering on but outside of that just very quickly I'm a uh, late convert to netball like the super netball competition this season was fantastic and the finals have me hooked I can say that I uh, haven't picked a team as yet but it's the competition that that really sort of drew me in
0: okay fantastic and what about
2: you Ed uh yeah so um, I'm Ed Love, Samsung TV Plus. I look after all BD and content acquisitions for the service. Um, in terms of sporting teams, it could be shorter to say who I don't support. But um, in the lead up to September, I've got to say the Wallabies, number one. Uh, and then New England Patriots been a fan since oh, I was really? about seven years old. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. And just for anybody who's wondering, I'm I'm a Melbourne Football Club, uh, Huddersfield Town FC, um, football team in Northern England. Uh, it used to be in the Premier League when I jumped up board the bandwagon. <laughs> Sadly, they've slipped down a, a couple of rungs since then. And I guess any Australian national teams going into battle. Look, let's start with, I mentioned the Matildas and the Women's World Cup. It's been an amazing couple of months for, for sport, for sports broadcasting. Um and streaming platforms is but is this, we I talked about how Sport bought the rights to that. They onsold some games to seven. And I'm writing thinking they didn't have to do that, did they, Kim? They could have held it all.
1: They could have held it all and I think what it's done is it's broadened the reach and I think it's just shown that, you know, at the moment they're complementary. You've got the the broader reach of the free-to-air along with um, streaming and I think it's the power of both of those that is uh, – help deliver the results that we've got. It also shows how far we've come in the streaming world. And now, you know, if you look at so much of that viewership being um, driven by streaming, which even two, three years ago wouldn't have been the case. So, for me, it's an indication of the future and where we're going to be in a couple of years' time, where I think it's probably going to be the flip and streaming is going to be the lion's share of that viewership um, versus free-to-wear. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it's it's very much a mix of both though, isn't it? When, to my view, it's we're not really close to any major sports. Let's forget about the regulatory problems yeah, first, but. Yeah. but- you really need a mix of the free to word audience is still massive as we saw with the Matildas. Yeah. And it's really a mix of both. It really is a mix of both. I think,
2: um, you know, from a consumption point of view at Samsung, it's definitely flipped for us to a predominantly streaming environment from viewing time. I think it sits at around 70% of viewing time on TVs is via streaming. Um, but it's very much a mix of both. I think you, wrench, you mentioned the regulatory stuff, like the anti-siphoning thing. That's That may change in the future, but it's never going to be completely diluted. So it's always going to be there. But as you know, technology develops and all that sort of stuff, I think it's going to be much more predominant on streaming platforms.
0: Because at the moment we have, I mean, the, the streaming platforms with the most sport have very definite links to a, a bigger business, don't they? I mean, KO's part of the Foxtel group, um, Stan Sports, part of Nine Entertainment, and they share a lot of sports. Paramount Plus have some sports, but they're part of Paramount ANZ, which own Network 10. So we're not seeing a lot of breakout sort of streaming on its own
1: it's look the market is definitely becoming more fragmented and i think the market across streaming and as a whole is becoming more fragmented i think though that actually makes a position like ko even a little bit stronger because we still have over 50 sports and if you think about even the sports that we talked about at the beginning it's pretty diverse it's pretty broad global as well, like the fact that, uh, Ed, you love, you know, obviously your NFL. Mm-hmm. So I do think people will gravitate again to what can make it easier for them. And I think that streaming fatigue of having too many streaming apps, and I think sport is something that will be a little bit fragmented, but ultimately people will look for where can they get the biggest sports, both globally and locally in, in one place. Yeah.
0: The, um, the Women's World Cup was also a bit of a reminder, I guess, the of the power of free-to-air TV is still a big deal, um, mm. But um, and all those companies are trying to build their Bvid offering, if you like, aren't they? And yeah. um, through On Demand, through their own fast channels, mm. um, will we see that continue at a pace? Because that's going to become uh, – you'd know, Kim, about when you're out there bidding for rights – you know seven nine and ten now are all looking really to the really wanting to grow that um that on demand that streaming presence aren't they
1: yeah, absolutely. I think that is definitely becoming the the battlefield at the moment. And I think it's a matter of, um, you know, where the rights sit. And also, you know, even beyond the live game, and I imagine we'll talk about it, you know, what we're seeing even on KO is a shift in behaviour. The live game is absolutely king, but we're starting to see a real snackable, you know, on-demand consumption consumption as well. So, you know, our minis, highlights, um, you know, the VOD is performing very well. So I think in line with that, we are also seeing this shift in behaviour, which I think will be people searching for more to complement the live game. And it really comes down to freedom and flexibility. We all live such busy lives that if I can't watch that live game in the moment, I want to be able to see all the highlights within minutes of the game ending. I want to be able to rewatch the game at my time when and where I want as well.
2: Yeah, I know from my perspective, I used to watch hours and hours of sport every weekend and then I had a child and that stopped (laughs) and you know now mini matches are how I consume my favorite sports so um that for me is definitely the change in view behavior um like I think to your point as well a lot more of that shoulder content as well it sort of keeps you engaged during the week before you can do that catch up on the you know the mini matches
0: or whatever it is yeah Kim was it did KO pioneer some of that mini stuff or was it
1: Oh, look, I think was it, it just
0: you gave it higher profile. I
1: it? think we gave it higher profile. I think the idea of mini matches had had been around, you know, in a very subtle way. So they had been there. Mm-hmm. We gave it scale. By doing it across nearly all of our sports, mm-hmm. so it became a regular behaviour that people could rely on. Now people people rely on it. We, you know, the uh, the F one is a great example. Mm-hmm. We see the huge benefit from Drive to Survive bringing in a more casual fan base, but they're not staying up at two a.m. to watch the race. They still want to stay engaged with the sport and are waking up and watching the minis of the race over breakfast or on their way into the office.
0: Just as a consumer, I'm just wondering: is is the pressure on for you guys to turn around an event too, for to get it up on on demand as soon as that fire? you know, the final flag comes down or the whistle or whatever.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And obviously a lot of that is automated. Um,
2: it's staggering
0: sometimes how quick they're <laughs> <aren't> they?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Options, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, thankful for automation. There is a little bit of human control because you can't, you can't rely on it 100%, but that's the only way we're able to do it at that scale because, yeah, people want to be able to, as soon as the, the flag falls, be able to go on there and see the mini or the highlights.
2: And I think there's a real difference as well between sort of the – much more curatorial nature of how you do it or how Stan does it compared to my first take on it was like with um, NFL Red Zone. So they would do these cut-down versions and it was just hard cut, hard cut, hard cut, whereas it's much more sort of editorialised, I guess, the mini-matches now on KO and Stan.
1: Yeah, and and I think even part of – Part of um, building on what Ed was saying, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, streaming versus free-to-wear. Ultimately, though, I think it just comes down to consumer behaviour and the shift that's ha- that it's happening because consumers have freedom and flexibility on so many other platforms and I think what we're seeing is that freedom and flexibility being applied to sport and that is what is driving the shifts that we're seeing.
0: Do you think advertisers identify different audiences for – Sport either the docos or on demand as opposed to live because live attracts the, the big audience, doesn't it? And it's maybe more the hardcore fan who's in there watching the on demand or the documentary.
2: Um, I mean, I would assume so. I think from my perspective, I'm, I'm not really familiar with that, but I would have to assume that they're definitely different audiences that they're targeting. You know, the um audience that would tune into the Matildas over the last four weeks would be very different to the type of person who's tuning into the F1 at 2 o'clock in the morning.
1: Mm, definitely, definitely. I do think the shows and documentaries – do appeal a little bit broader. And obviously there's massive variability to that, but we get uh, really great audience numbers on the 30 for 30, which Mm. you'd probably be familiar with. Like people, that has quite a broad audience. So I think what we love about documentaries and mag shows is you have to have the suite to appeal to everyone. So we absolutely have the more fanatical uh, takedowns of the sport and recaps. And the same with documentaries, but you also need to have entertainment and shows and things that appeal a bit more broadly and just take people behind the drama, you know, and behind the scenes Mm. on on sports.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, for me – in, I think it was the start of COVID when The Last Dance came out and that sort of seemed like this moment where suddenly these really high-end documentaries that became shoulder content to other sports got. Like my wife, for instance, never into basketball and she loved that series you know, about the Chicago Bulls and now we just consume those documentaries all the time. Mm. Yeah, How good is the Tom Brady one? Oh, so good. <laughs> I love
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about what you can share about your relevant um, – customer bases in terms of the sex as male and female. I mean, the growth of women's sport, are we seeing um, much change there?
1: The great thing is that we are seeing significant shifts in women's in women's sport. And I think we're all seeing that, even before the Matildas. And I think we're all just hoping that the Matildas becomes a moment in time that sort of step changes and we capitalise on that. The great thing with a platform like KO is we obviously broadcast more women's sport than any other broadcaster, but it doesn't see male v, v female. It obviously just sees preferences and personalisation. Mm. So if you're watching a lot of AFL, it will serve you AFLW. You know, So that has been a big shift because, as we all know, what will drive women's sport is visibility. Yeah. You, know, you can't watch something you can't see, and that's been the game changer on KO. So we've had phenomenal growth uh, across all of our women's sport just as a result of that.
0: Yeah. What about you and what do you Well oh,
2: I I think um Furthering on to your point, like the surfacing of women's sport, uh, this most recent World Cup has probably been a real game changer as well in terms of the uh, appetite for women's sport. I think if you compare it to the last Women's World Cup in France, you know the stadiums weren't full, and you know I don't think there were many people talking about it back here. But that will change things as well. I think far more people. Like we, we have designed women's football channel on Samsung TV Plus. Um, we've seen an uptick on that channel, so I think it's just the the flow-on effect on the back of this will be huge.
0: And it must be uh, for advertisers who like targeting sporting audiences, the growth of opportunities that major women's sports now broadcasters are sort of clamoring for them, whether it be, you know, uh, AFL, NRL, um, FIFA, World Cup football, uh, cricket, these things weren't being broadcast, were they? Hardly at all you know, probably 10 years ago.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not even as far back as 10 years ago. You think about even, you know, five, six years ago. And I, I actually think that you know, now is the time to get into women's sport because it is less cluttered than the men's sport and there are much more commercial opportunities to cut through. Some of the research that Foxtel Media uh, did and we released a month or so ago showed that actually it also convinces and has much more of a consideration impact brands being associated with women's sport. So it seems to, to reach the main grocery buyer and have more of an impact in persuading their you know, their perceptions of brands. So I definitely think it's a, it's a call to say, Hey, look, you know, it's not about getting in, um, on the ground floor at a great rate, which it may have been a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, right? It was almost like the, the free steak knives. That time is over. This is a valuable proposition that adds significant value for brands and can help them reach a pretty attractive, you know, main Grocery, grocery buying audience.
2: Yeah, I think we'll all be interested to see and, you know, maybe from you guys' perspective at KO but what the bidding war for the next World Cup will be like. I mean, it'll be very different <laughs> <Yeah>. to, <laughs> on the back of this
1: one. Yeah, and isn't that going to be great? Oh, like, awesome. I, I yeah. think that's a fantastic uh, moment
0: to celebrate. Yeah. And- yeah, yeah. Let's just hope the players get to enjoy some of the, you know, yeah. <laughs> reap some of those rewards. Exactly. And
2: I think, you know, on the, to your point, now the – Women athletes in other sports are now looking at this and saying, "Hey, you know, my governing body now needs to pick up the slack as well." I know the Wallaroos have said something similar to Rugby Australia that, you know, the, you can see the value in women's sport. You now need to be putting the dollars where it is.
0: I'm interested to hear from both of you about the viewing experience for the consumer. Um, KO is very big on not not interrupting. Sort of live play with commercial messaging. What was your reaction, Kim, to, to how Optus Sport and Seven managed that during the um, FIFA Women's World Cup?
1: Look, I, look, I think there's always going to be um, different approaches. You know, I think we we believe that the viewing experience and not interrupting it with ads works really well for for us. I think we saw that a little bit actually, even with the Ashes. You know. People did expect the Ashes to be on, on KO and, and it wasn't. And it was probably the best test cricket we, we've seen in many, many years. I think we were encouraged by the fact there was also a lot of frustration and comments on social media about, Oh my God, like I've just no more ads, please. Like, come on. So actually it's, it's just reinforced to us that people just, there's value in that uninterrupted experience. Yeah.
0: What about you maybe just as a viewer as well?
2: Um, yeah, as a consumer, um, I've, I've got to say I'd rather not see ads during live <laughs> sport, but uh, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, they obviously also serve an enormous purpose to getting rights onto different platforms. So from our perspective, even as a platform generally, we um, our ad load sits a lot lower than, uh, say, for example, free-to-wear. That's a choice we've made to create a point of difference. Um, and then, you know, during sport, we're sort of um, – beholden to the channel partner that owns the rights to it. So some don't carry any ads at all during live sport, some do, it's, um, but it's definitely a lower load, which I think the viewer would be much happier with.
0: I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I might be showing my age here, but, but I can remember a lot of live sport wasn't allowed because people were worried it would impact the crowds. I mean, like back in the old days, test yeah. cricket didn't start till yeah. after the tea break because yeah. they wanted people to go to the ground and there was like only maybe a couple of AFL games a week because they worried about it impacting the crowds. But yeah. but that's been blown out of the water, hasn't it, by now you can watch everything and they're still getting full stadiums. Oh, so absolutely. it actually helps some marketing, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I think you look at um, AFL and NRL getting record crowds. I think people um, – for what we see, it's a very different experience. As we all, you know, when you think about it, you go to a game for the experience. You stay at home or you watch the game on your device mm. for a different different reason. So we absolutely see them as complementary. And when you think about watching a game on any device, what makes it really great is having a full and compelling and mm. exciting crowd.
2: For sure, I think like it was only a few years ago, the NFL they. Right up until a few years ago, they had a blackout rule. It was if a crowd uh, was below a certain percentage in the stadium, they wouldn't televise the game because it was such a bad experience for the audience. That's changed now, but I think we all would know that when you hear a huge crowd screaming, it's such a better experience.
0: The um, sporting bodies, there was some thought, I I guess the sort of growth of the internet thought some sporting bodies might go straight to the consumer, cut out the broadcaster. Mm. We're seeing that a little bit. But it's not a trend that has sort of grown. There's there still seems to be a lot of importance in having a broadcaster involved in your coverage. And and Kim, you said so what your fifty odd sports, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and the, the sporting bodies obviously see a lot of value in having KO as a partner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. When you think about the sporting bodies, their core business is obviously the the sport right the way through to the the grassroots and the future of that sport, there is significant you know, infrastructure, expertise in being a broadcaster, you know. So I think the sporting bodies, mm. at least in Australia, I can't, I can't really speak for overseas, you know, understand the, the value of having an expert who they do that every day, day in, are focusing on how do they make the best viewing and broadcast experience for the fans. Meanwhile, the sporting bodies focus on how do they deliver the best sport and future growth of that sport for their fans i think it's um you know I, I think they understand in australia and respect that to try and do everything ends up diluting their core business which is the actual future mm. of that sport
2: yeah, and i think it's you know the sporting bodies doing it themselves is in my view much more complementary as opposed to an and or so you know again uh, Talk a lot about the NFL, but because I love it. Um, the NFL's had NFL Red Zone for years, so the direct to consumer model. But it's a, you know a lot of people have it as an add on to then watching the game on free to wear or on cable, however they might consume it. So I think we'll see more and more of that. The, the bodies will become sporting bodies will become much more aware of the rights they maintain and you know being able to get to a new audience that way. But I. Th- I can't see a world anytime soon, particularly in Australia, where the sporting bodies will go totally direct
0: to consumer. I just don't see it being feasible. Yeah, yeah, but right. it's more for the super fan, isn't it? It's yeah. Like think F1 has a nice app too you can you can watch that will complement you yeah. watching the and you you mentioned the NFL do that as well. And you've well. got documentaries yeah.
2: and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Sure,
0: sure. Um, pre and post game coverage. Um, it's important, I guess. It's important because you can get a lot of your your you're at messaging away pre- and post-game without interrupting sort of the viewing experience. Mm. What are the numbers like for, for pre- and post-game in general, Kim?
1: Pre- and post-game is really strong. You know, when you think about it, um, it, it it gives people context, and it's a really way. It's a really good way to ease people in. Otherwise, it's sort of like, bam, we're 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 right in here. We go. We're you know the the first the first tack. You know, so I think people it, it is really strong, and I think there's a bigger opportunity. We use it as a way to um, help educate. I think people are looking for something very specific pre-game. I think post-game um, as well. It's a bit more of a celebration it's the um, press conferences um, but yeah strong viewership and more opportunity to sort of grow and do some of the integrations from a commercial point of view from a partnership point of view and yeah. i think
2: i think we saw that with the women's world cup as well that you know the um, pre and post game shows around the games Ooh. were actually they rated really well so and i think to your point if your team's won then you are hang around because you just want to soak it all
0: in and yeah yeah again i think you reach that really a hardcore user, yeah. which must be attractive to lots of advertisers. I know. Sometimes I'll listen to AFL pre and post game, yeah. but won't listen to the actual match <laughs> if I haven't got a, a team invested. Yeah. But I still want to know that you know, hear the commentators chatting or things like that. So, so I think they seem to have real value. Yeah, yeah. agree. And you. You have um, analysis shows across the week as well, don't you, on on weeknights, sort of the the bookends, between the bookends of the live games on weekends, I guess.
1: Yeah, we do. And we actually have a really good rhythm now. What we find is that you have the editorial mag shows on the Monday, Tuesday. Monday's really big for us because obviously it's all about the recap, what happened on the weekend. Tuesday it tapers off a little bit. Wednesday then we promote more lifestyle, entertainment, docos because there's that midweek hump around Wednesday. And then your Thursday or Friday obviously back into, you know, the, the weekend reviews and what's happening. So there's a real rhythm to our content calendar programming that we're, we're finding is really successful.
0: Mm. The rising cost of sports rights, um, how much of a challenge is that for broadcasters or is it just a commercial reflection of how critical that content is?
1: yeah it 's an interesting one. I do agree with the latter. I do think it 's a it 's a commercial um reality of you know it is it is the most valuable Content, I think live sport, and the you know, we just all saw it with the power of Matilda. So I don't think you know anyone's disputing that. I do think it it will sort of level the playing field a little bit. I do think you know it will at some point lean itself to consolidation, as it you know you can't imagine it continuing to to increase at this level without you know needing to consolidate. I do think though, from a a, a Ko point of view, it means that you continually have to innovate and provide mm-hmm. value. What defines us is we are a paid service and you need to every day ensure that you're delivering value to the customer and they have high expectations, which we love and expect. And I think that is what will level the playing field as well. Because as the rights increase, you need to put it behind a paywall, you need to deliver value in order to justify the subscription of it. So I think it'll become a bit of a cycle.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's you know, I think the sporting bodies will always want more for the the, uh, the the sport that they're providing, but it probably hasn't realigned with the fragmentation of the industry. You know, compare it to twenty years ago, where there was basically just the Free airs and Foxtel, and they were behemoths and they could pay large sums of money. I think now, you know, you, you do see the fragmentation of sports rights across multiple platforms, and whether that realigns on the cost of the
0: sports rights or not, I have to wait and see. Is there a, a, the? I'm guessing the price for for for. A library of historical games is still can still be picked up for moderately. I don't want to say a bargain; That's the wrong word. But um, those those rights, I would imagine, haven't escalated. Although there must be a little bit more value in, in libraries, of, whereas before there mustn't be much of an outlet at all. But for things like fast channels, yeah, um, that could be quite a, an attractive proposition.
2: Absolutely, I think. Um- Probably less of on the acquisition side of thing. It's more about the um, sporting rights owners realizing they do have that sort of trevor trove, treasure trove of content, and that they can utilize it in new ways. So you know, the FIFA Fast Channel we launched. It's fantastic. They own all the rights to every bit of back catalogue, every World Cup, all these premium documentaries they've created, and they obviously saw an opportunity to spin up a channel around that. Um, and it's it's really great. And I think you know, more and more sporting rights bodies will start to realize that they are sitting on that and most of them do retain rights to their games pre certain periods whether it's their latest broadcast agreement or whatever it is so it's about sort of really honing in on what they own and how to find a new audience for it and to remonetize the content that they monetized maybe 10 years ago or whatever it might and be and do you
0: think the sporting bodies realize a marketing value too absolutely they, yeah. look they don't want to be too crazy on Trying to get every cent just for yeah. the for the right to broadcast it. There's a there's real marketing dollars there for, and for it gets on.
2: And I, you know, it's different sporting bodies also have different priorities. Some it's a monetization issue. For a lot, it's eyeballs and it's engagement. Um, you know, I think particularly if you know if we look at some of the global sports who haven't always been a tier one sport here, they're trying to grow their brand in this country and it's a great way of doing that so getting into the country showing all this premium content people on samsung tv plus are getting it for free um, but it's very much a premium product you know
1: um, it's a great it's a great play isn't it because and that is the value of streaming that you can spin that up if I think about this year is um, the 60th year of Bathurst and we're spinning up you know a, uh, a my whole, hometown there, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. uh, and we're spinning up you know a whole a whole carousel around archive content and again yeah. we're going back into all of those moments and, yeah. and that's going to be there for the whole week. So, I think that's the benefit. Now, that will be a fanatics play, but they will love that looking back yeah. at 60 years on Bathurst.
2: Totally. And, you know, like there's so much opportunity in that sort of space. Like the British and Irish Lions are coming here in 2025. You could spin up a channel on just British and Irish Lions tours from past years. Um, State of Origins, be the same, you know, all that sort of stuff. It just really lends itself to people, I guess, as well, the lean back experience. Someone flips their TV on and they go, you know, what? Far out. I could really watch this, you know, 1992 State of Origin Decider or something like that
0: that the let's sort of drawing towards the end of our time let's talk about the future things we might see in both of your businesses and or things you might just predict in general about where where we might be going um in in terms of streaming in particular do you think we'll see a lot of change in in the near term all these things that might sort of um roll out in five ten years
1: Look, I think when I think near term I think the next twelve months and I don't think we're gonna I think we're we're seeing the change now and it'll play out over the next twelve months. I do think longer term we are gonna continue to see significant change. You know, and that that could be, you know, three to four years. If you think about where we've come in the last mm-hmm. three to four years, you know, it it's it's pretty um eye-opening. Where that change will be, I- I'm not sure. But one thing I'm going to throw out there is one of the things in the back of my head is just, you know, esports and gaming. You know, the numbers are massive. Twitch I- is huge. Uh, where's that going to go? There is definitely a younger audience. You know, there's still a lot of debate. Is it a sport? Is it not a sport? You know, how does that play in sort of the mainstream traditional streaming worlds that we're talking about today?
0: Yeah, I've seen that. People often say that, but I'm just wondering that the gamers like the the uh, channels they're in now and I've seen other people lose a fair bit of money mm. trying to sort of get some of that crowd and that audience, but I just wonder if those those people like being off radar a little bit.
1: I think they probably do today, but mm. where is that going to be, be in, sure. in two to three yeah. years? Like will that be part of a, a consolidation? I, I I don't know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah mm. they're certainly not, you know, traditional sport viewers by any stretch, but I think it's about meeting them where they are and, you know, I think there's definitely avenues for targeting those sort of viewers as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ed? Let's talk about, you know, your your business. What Sport plays a lot bigger part in it now than it it did when you probably first launched.
2: It does. You know, even from, generally speaking, Fast is an incredibly new ecosystem in uh, entertainment, I think. I joined the company just over a year ago. and I had barely heard the acronym up to that point. So I think the growth it just in that time has been astronomical. Um, early years of fast were a great avenue for, you know, sort of more niche sports, perhaps like, the you know, tier two sports globally to find new eyeballs and monetization. What we're seeing now is much heavier engagement from tier one sports who are really figuring out that, you know, A company like Samsung TV Plus has, you know, we're live in 24 countries globally. Um, So if you can tap into a platform like that, you know, market-leading TV uh, in most territories, that it's a real avenue to um, discovering new audiences, things like that.
0: Okay, and let's just finally finish on both a a quick bloke for for what's coming. What's up on KO for the, um, we're recording this sort of just after the halfway mark of the, the calendar 2023. What's to come?
1: It is a really strong back end of the year on sport and I think people um – you know, will be pleasantly surprised because, you know, you think about it, a Cricket World Cup is just around the corner, which is fantastic. So the Men's Cricket World Cup, obviously, in India. As I said, we've got, um, you know, Vegas F1, which is going to be exciting and I think that's going to be, uh, you know, a great time zone for us. And then we've obviously got uh, Formula One and then obviously just the, you know, US sport as well. So, you know, it is a really strong next six months of sport, which – KO loves. <laughs> so whether you're a fan or a fanatic, you know it's a great opportunity just to you know sit back and and uh, enjoy a continued world of sport outside of you know the footy footy
0: finishing. Fantastic, Ed. What What about you? What What's happening in your world well, in the next
2: few months? Yeah, from a sport perspective, this event has been a really big year for us. Um, we've really prioritised our sports offering as something we wanted to grow. Um, yeah, you know, we did launch FIFA Plus. We launched Design Women's Football, um, and we've got some really exciting channel launches coming towards the end of the year. And what we're just really trying to do is give as broader sport offering as humanly possible to
0: our viewers. Um, yeah. And I guess it's ex- exciting for you because you can say it's still a relatively new space mm. and you must be sort of getting your audience data all the time, yeah. analysing that, digging into it, which is guiding where the business goes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we, obviously sport is so important to the Australian market. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting space to be in, especially as we're seeing so much more contact from different sports.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Kim McConney from KO, Ed Love from Samsung TV Plus. Thanks for joining this special podcast. Thanks Thank you for us.
1: Thanks for having us.